I don't think you govern behind a desk. I don't think that you anybody's very good at governing behind a desk. And I think part of the challenges that you face are being disconnected from where you are. And I've spent a lot of time in the community and it has made a difference for me. I mean, whether I'm in an elementary school or in a church or doing a rolling town hall or a walking town hall or Java with Jungus or Coffee with the Mayor or some mm-hmm. of those, that engagement has allowed us to have more dialogue. And that's a challenge for every major city is to connect enough. And we spend a lot of time doing it, but I'm very pleased with how yeah. we've handled that. Welcome to The Climb. I'm your co-host, Michael Moore. Today, we're really excited. Uh, first of all, after a year of doing this, for the first time, my co-host, Bob Wirma is sitting right across from me instead of on a Zoom call. So, live in Fort Worth. Live in Fort Worth. Welcome to Texas, Bob. It's great. This is going to be a good one. I am joined by a dear friend and the 44th mayor of the 13th largest city in the United States, Mayor Betsy Price. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. And Bob, we're glad you got smart and came to Fort Worth. <laughs> now you have to see if you can get me out. That's right. We'll try. We're always trying. That's what we do well. <laughs> Recruitment, exactly. We, You know, that that's something we'll touch on today for sure. I don't know about you, but driving around, there are a lot more out-of-state license plates than I've seen ever. <laughs> yeah, we may have recruited more than we want. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, Mayor Price, let me just start with this. First of all, thank you for your service. Uh, I can't think of of someone that just embodies what it means to take on that civil servant role and and serve the people. And in doing a little research for this podcast, um, I think you you might have said that I want to be, if I could be remembered as something, it would be the people's mayor. And I I really, I I don't think there's a better way you could describe it. But before we jump into all that, I want to just kind of rewind and and start at the beginning. And in talking to your daughter, Catherine, Mm -hmm. and a very good friend of mine, um, preparing for this, she talked about you being the youngest of four by about an 11-year gap which may have spurred or begun the creation of maybe a a little independence. And there may have been a a, a word like bossy thrown around. (laughs) Not sure. Not not putting words in her mouth. My um, siblings use that word on a regular basis. (laughs) So let's start there. Okay. You're You're the youngest of four by 11. Talk about growing up and some of the things that started defining who you've ultimately become. Yeah, I grew up in Fort Worth. I was born here. My parents came here, and I'm not going back to my birth, but just to give you a little background, uh, my dad was in World War II, and he was a car dealer and was a mechanic and wanted to open a dealership. And they came to Fort Worth in fall of 45, I guess, when he got out. And, um, you know, they had two kids already, and then they had gap had my brother and I. The gap was 11 years, but my brother and I are only 18 months, 19 months apart. Mm -hmm. So really, it was more like growing up. And the street I grew up on was all boys. And, you know, my brother's rule was, you're going to play with us, you're going to play like the boys do. So it was a long time before I was pretty much a tomboy and, and, and pretty assertive. My older sisters were kind of like second mothers, and we had a great time. We had a great family. I mean, like every family, you always go, oh, my gosh, my, my family's crazy until you get bigger and you go out and you start talking to people. And you think, I oh, know I'll take my family in a heartbeat. But my parents were committed to service to the community and raised us to believe that you take your talent, whatever you're given, and you return something back to whatever you choose to serve. And in my case, it was community. And, you know, I was I've always been involved in service in every organization and probably am very bossy and <laughs> and it's held held me well. You know, you try to moderate it, but it's just a trait that just comes with it. Strong Texas women, That's as right. somebody said. So leading up to becoming mayor here, talk a little bit about that time period there too, and what led you to want to do that? 
You know, I really wasn't looking for this job. It came looking for me. I had three children. Tom has a, is a small business owner, and I owned a small business of my own called Price Cornelius Title Service, and it was a kind of a small niche business, spinoff from my dad's dealership, and then my brother took it, and uh, we did licensing and titling for about 50 of the car dealers in town and did their property taxes. Mm-hmm. And I'd done, you know, PTA at all my kids' schools and junior league committees and church committees and uh, all kinds of volunteer stuff, YMCA volunteer. And in my work, I worked with the Tarrant County Tax Office, and it was the worst run office. I mean, average wait time in that office was about an hour. Average wait time for a dealer to get their work back was a, a week. You know, they'd drop it off and it'd be a week, and it was just, it was expensive. The tax dollars they spend. And and I would say to my clients, somebody needs to fix that office. It drives me crazy. And finally, a couple of the new car dealers that are friends said, you know, quit saying that because that somebody needs to be you. (laughs) And I'd never thought about running for political office. And I went home and said, Tom, what do you think about that? He said, well, why not? You're really good. You've always been the fixer. You know, kind of that's kind of my thing. And the one that shapes stuff up. He said, let's take a look at it. And the kids, you know, they were college, two in college and one in middle school at the time. And they thought that would be a hoot. (laughs) So I decided to run and I, you know, ran against uh, five people. And one of them was the Republican. And it's it's a partisan race in the tax office. Mm -hmm. And one of them was the Republican Party chair. And everybody said, you can't beat him. You don't have any um, political experience. and." The biggest political consultant in town, who you know, said, you can't win this race. You've got no political name ID. And I said, just sit back and watch. We will win it. And afterwards, he said, I've never seen a grassroots campaign like that. I've never seen so many church moms and junior league moms and Cub Scout and Boy Scouts and kids' friends who, you know, he said all those years of driving carpool and working and waving at everybody. said there were so many mothers and fathers, soccer moms is what we say now, mm-hmm. at the polls voting for you. said it was incredible. He said, I ate my words. You skunked everybody in that race. I said, yeah, you you get out and you know a lot of people and you, it works. And then I got recruited to run for mayor. So before we dive into that, city. To fix, thank you. <laughs> so, the, but that's an interesting point on kind of the, the grassroots aspect of a campaign. And if we, you know, we, we've got Bob from Chicago, so I think we can make some correlations here early on. If you think about like politics today, Versus maybe when you started dipping your toe in and whether it's it's a local race or a state race or a national race. In your mind, how has that changed and is it changed for the better or for the worse? I would really think, I mean, I ran first in 2000, so that's 20, nearly 21 years right. ago for tax assessor. It's changed, not changed dramatically, but the real issue is that people don't vote. People are sick and tired of the partisan politics where we've gotten so far on the right Mm -hmm. and so far on the left that many people just don't vote. They're just put off by that. And really, good governance and good service always happens in the middle. It's right in the middle. And you may lean right or you may lean left, and you need to listen to both parties. And people are just put off because at the local office, that happens. Locally, you people you have to govern. You have to. Unfortunately, the mayor's office is not partisan. Mm-hmm. You have to make your decisions based in the middle. But that's not what people see in the media. They see this very partisan politics. Mm-hmm. They're very put off about it. And you can see that when you got 10, 12 percent turnout in your local elections, they'll turn out for the top of the ticket for the uh, presidential races. They turn out a little bit more for Senate races, but they don't turn out very well. And that's fallen dramatically the last 20 years. People it, just get disenfranchised. Right. And that, yet that's the governance level that impacts your life the most, mm-hmm, right. it, the local level. And is that across the country, you would say? It too? is across the country. Wow. Yeah, it is. I mean, people just have 
election fatigue mm-hmm. right. by the time they get down ballot to the local races they just really do i mean it's changing we're seeing a, a rise in it again and we've worked really hard at the local level particularly to engage young people michael like you i mean the year i was elected mayor we had about a nine percent turnout right. locally and less than one percent of that was under the age of 40 <laughs> that's wow. frightening so then fast forward. And we to, started some groups to address that that we can talk about later. Because you brought up an interesting point about when it is a a year that a, a, a president is being elected and the turnout's different. So when, when that's occurred, I mean, talk about that phenomenon for somebody that's way down ballot, right? You've got to think about the people that are fatigued, but maybe because it's the president, they feel that civic duty that we should all feel like, I mean, we worked really hard for the right to be able to vote, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and iterations of that with 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 women and people of color and all the things that we've tried hard to do. But then you get the person that's just going to show up to vote and just check the box at the top for every down ballot's going to be the Republican mm-hmm. Party. So how do we go about getting people to think about each level and make an informed decision. Does it go back to like, do we need a better civics program in elementary school and middle school to talk about the, like, where does it start? I, I think you've really hit upon something that's dear to me and to a lot of people. We have lost in education. And some of the schools are still pretty good at it, but the public schools across the board, civics doesn't hit till high school. right? And then it's just a small spattering It's a very short unit on civics, and they don't talk much about local politics. Now, at the elementary level, there's a unit on Texas and Texas government, and that includes local politics. But I just don't think most kids know what they're doing. And when they get out and they go to work and they have children of their own or they go to college and they get out, they just don't think about that impact of that vote and what it really means. And I think we've got to do a better job of educating people of that. Yeah. No, it's I agree. It's 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 got to change. Yeah. You know, I was at a um, fundraising event that that your daughter and, and son in law were at uh, earlier this week. And without getting into specifics, just again, that the, the, the numbers are so low on voter turnout for something as important as a water board mm-hmm. that is a multi-billion dollar entity. Um, and we could go into all the facts and. There's, I think, 90,000 people that are eligible to vote for this. And it They're comes probably more than that. And it comes down to less than less than 10,000. Less than 10,000. Yeah. Wow. And it's, I mean, <clears throat> water's a pretty important resource, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't people engaged in this? I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a hard people get busy. They really do at the presidential level, the governor level. A lot of money goes into those races and your own TV and they see it and they're bombarded with it constantly. And they look at their withholding and their income tax and they see what those races do. They forget that the reality of it is that your clean water, your police department, your fire department all come at the local level, your school board members. And I just think, and not near as much money goes in those races and people are busy on a day-to-day basis. They just kind of have fallen out of the habit of looking at it. It's a core group who votes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's it's a hard nut crack, so to speak. But I mean, we're making progress. The Steer-Fort Worth group, Mm -hmm. my young leaders group that we started when I was elected, really has moved the needle. The last municipal election under 40s were made up 2% of, or a little better than 2% of the vote. And that's a big jump. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, uh, to add a full percent or a little better is a big jump. And they got out. And the good news is there are more. When I first took office, there are 352 positions on boards and commissions that from planning and zoning to development to uh, ethics, all of those and there were, of that 352, there were 30 or less who were under 45. Mm-hmm. Now, that was part of the goal, to get them voting and to get them engaged. There's probably 90 or 100 that are young leaders serving now on those boards and commissions. That's good. I think yeah. we just gradually tick it off and we'll ultimately move the needle on the voting piece. You mentioned 
earlier, um, you know, the media being on the left side, the right side, and kind of those far pieces. And then we've had a number of guests on here where we've talked about just the influence of social media mm-hmm. and what that's done, not just in, in business, but in politics and so many different facets of our lives. You know, is that a medium that we can use to get more engagement? And how do you do that? I mean, what's your view on the social media aspect? I mean, there's got to be a lot of focus on that from you. Yeah, as a whole, social media is a great tool. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all seen the problems that it can have, but candidates are really beginning to use it. I mean, and and office holders are beginning to use it. Now that I'm retiring, the question arose with the city attorney recently said, what do we do with all your social media? We Never, 10 years ago, we didn't have a mayor that had social media. Sure. There was no policy for handling the social media when somebody leaves. And we have a big presence on social media. And one of the good cool tools is during the when the pandemic first hit Fort Worth, we started doing Facebook Live every afternoon at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. And it was a great tool. And you probably saw some of them, Michael. Mm-hmm. It was a great tool. People came to depend on that information from the mayor. It was six minutes or eight minutes, and we still do it now. The overhead, now that the pandemic's winding down, we don't do it daily, and we we do it twice a week and sometimes just once a week, and we do all kinds of things on there. I think it's a tremendous tool, and I think cities and candidates and office holders are just beginning to figure out how to use it. And it isn't just Facebook. you got to do Twitter you got to do Instagram. Right. I mean, we did a boomerang thing last night that just kind of just kind of for fun <laughs> yeah. to catch people's attention, makes them laugh. Mm-hmm. But you got to have, and that's been interesting. Uh, the mayor's office didn't have a full time. Now in Chicago they do, but they didn't have here. Uh, Houston did, but none of the other big uh, mayors did. A comms person on staff. Mm. And we have a full-time comms person, and everybody's added that now that works for the mayor and council that largely handles your social media yeah. and your media. And it's a, if used right and developed right, it's a great tool. That's, And I'm sorry to say, but that's one reason you got to have these young people in. Right, right. They're the ones right. that are really uh, handle and know how to do it. Yeah. I show up, and they tell me what to do, and I do it. <laughs> Well, and, and I think if the medium is used to deliver messages of positivity mm-hmm. and and maybe reaching that audience that does make decisions and understand life through their phone, like that, that's important. I think the flip side, because you said, you know, as long as used correctly is when it's not used like that and it's just used to deliver messages that aren't positive, mm-hmm. that are meant to cut somebody down or you know, there's a great um I'm not a very good social media person. I think you call it a meme. Yeah. Where there's a, a, a <laughs> gate that can open and close like this and there's two dogs on either side of the gate. And when the gate is closed and they can't see each other, they're, rah, 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 they're just barking at each other like crazy. And the second the gate opens, they stop. That's a good analogy on social media because right. people will say anything on social media because they're not face-to-face yep. with people. But but it also is a great tool. I mean, during the pandemic, we had anywhere from thirty to 70,000 followers yeah. every day because they would get the feedback would be, it's short, it's sweet, it's positive, yep. it's upbeat, and it's real. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting the media that's, ah, yeah, yeah, you right. know, all over everything. You're going to die from <laughs> COVID. It's going to kill, yep. kill out the whole population. And just the facts, ma'am, as right. they used to say. And that was kind of what we gave them in a very reasonable, steady tone. But it is that anonymity mm-hmm. that's difficult on social media because people think they can say anything and get away with it. And well, you can't. No. And I think that's a great example because I certainly tuned in for like just the facts, ma'am, around what was going on with COVID because you're hearing from the school and you're hearing from nine different news channels and from work and from everything else. You know, if 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 government would use it as a place to disseminate truth and Mm -hmm. facts, then home run. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we just we tend to maybe use it for personal reasons too or vendettas yeah i think a lot of it it gets used for politics and and it shouldn't it should just be delivered at a local level particularly it should in a state level it should be used to deliver the facts to people Mm -hmm. well i think our our last president 
use Twitter in a mm. very interesting way that I think put a lot of negativity on that platform to deliver that news. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it mm-hmm. really got over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he lost the lost the positive things he could did could have done with it, and exactly. that he could could have done in those real aggressive messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's the the good and the bad of the immediacy of the delivery, right? I mean, if we go back centuries, and you know, a, a politician would write a letter that would, then would get to the newspaper, then would finally get published, <laughs> and then it took forever to get a message out. Yeah. And now it's what 180 characters or less and 30 million people see it. So And it's it's out the second you hit send. Right. You know, you don't you can't recall it. Yeah. No, and then and people, especially with, with Trump, you know, people as soon as that went out, even if they tried to delete it right away, somebody saw it oh, and took so a picture of it. Saw it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The photo ability <laughs> to snap to snap it is that's exactly haunts right. people. So back to family. Um, you, you start your own with Tom. Uh, Tom's in the insurance business as well. Okay, unbelievable human being. I wanted to He's ask, pretty patient man. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask specifically uh, about a bike ride with Tom, and we'll get into your your love of bike riding and and health and blue zone and all that. But a bike ride with Tom in France. Yeah. And tell us what happened there. Oh, gosh. We've done, <laughs> I mean, we've been cyclists for years, and we've done several European tours that we just love, and we were doing. We'd gone the, over there on a state farm trip. Tom's a state farm agent, and they oh, had okay. a, yeah. a rewards program, uh, and we had a trip, and we you could structure it how you wanted it, and we did planes, trains, and bicycles is how we got around, and, and so we were in going out of, I can't even remember what town it was, but we went to the local bike shop and said, tell us what's the prettiest trail today. And so it, Catherine told you this, I'm sure. Mm, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but we, they said, well, you know, go down along the river and when the trail splits, take the low trail. It's very scenic and you'll enjoy it. And then you'll go up to the castle and it's uh, 25 miles out and 25 back. And so we're riding along we're halfway in and this woman steps out of the bushes this is the story you want i said <laughs> and she's topless or she's nude actually and she steps right in front of tom on his bicycle and he's so distracted he, he flips his bike and bends the wheel on his bike <laughs> turns out it's a nude beach you know that's one reason the bike guy said oh it's real scenic uh. <laughs> Words matter. So we get, yeah, we uh-huh. gave, we give him major grief about <laughs> bending his bike wheel. And we had to walk down to the next little town to get it fixed. Oh, I, I had to bring that one up. She, she told me a bunch, but that one was it. I think there was a pet goat growing up and some other yeah, great we, ones. Yeah, we had a pet goat. She, she told me, but I wanted to hit on that one. So back to Tom, though, because I just, I love the, the dynamic and it's, it's certainly not how, you grew up or, or really raised your kids Mm-mm. in that it was more the traditional, you mentioned soccer moms earlier, stay at home mom, getting them ready for school and all that. And then not that Tom has ever stopped working, but the role reversed a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And so talk about like, obviously you took over tax assessor, but then the, the mayor possibility was, I guess, looming or being created in a platform to, to go do that. So tell us about that maturation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd always had a business and either worked part time or, you know, but I worked it around my children's schedule because it was important to do that. And then when I was tax assessor, it was more of a structured business. And then after 11 years in the tax office, people started coming and saying, you know, Mayor Moncrief's going to retire and the city's coming out of the 08 uh, downturn and in bad mm-hmm. shape and the pensions in terrible shape and and somebody needs to come tackle it this and fix it and that somebody needs to be you and I said no because the mayor's office is a total different level and and I just thought you know I was the one who pretty much did dinner plans and 
the household stuff and um Tom but Tom was he's still in retired, but he had a little right. more freedom in his business and was involved in some real estate stuff. And he said no too, because the demands on the mayor's race are are just I mean, the race and the service is just it's twenty four seven. And we had I had worked the tax office into a very, very successful office. It was recognized not just because it was mine, but we were recognized nationwide. We were on the cutting edge, believe it or not. You guys are all raised thinking ACH transfers and electronic payments for all your government stuff was the norm. It wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. We put it in first with a partnership. It was a pilot program with Chase Bank, and we were further along than Chase was in their development. Wow. We talked about it all over the nation, won awards, and cut the service date. That's one reason we got recruited to run for mayor. Mm-hmm. But we said no for six months. And finally, my kids had said, hey, you know, you ought to do it, Mom. It's interesting. <laughs> and you'd be great. You ought to do that. And Tom was like, well, I don't. He's, you know, we're very different and very compatible. But he's very quiet. And he is, doesn't like the spotlight at all. Mm-hmm. He said, that'll mean I have to do things. I said, no, we'll work a partnership. <laughs> you finally, we went to, after saying no and still getting pressure to do it, We he said, well, why not? Let's go talk to our pastor and and i walked in the door and he said there's a door open for you and you need to step through it and i said you i haven't even asked you what i want to ask you he said no i know i've just been praying about it and i know what you're looking at so we went back and said okay we'll take a look at this and and did it and won in a crowded field and then served have served 10 years so but it kind of did flip our roles i mean tom's been a lot more time doing household stuff for mm-hmm. me and kind of he had four nights a week or better he ate on his own because he didn't want to always go to those dinners that you know he got really tired real quick of chicken dinners <laughs> <laughs> so when you you were thinking about going through that you mentioned just you know the time commitment and things like that what else was maybe holding you back that you had to fight through to say hey i'm ready to go do this yeah it's a very public f- spot mm-hmm. and whether to put my family in that small mirror that microscope that people examine the tax office you know when you run on that platform they look at it but not like they do in the mayor and i mean they examine everything about you and i the debate whether to do that subject the family to it was a significant issue for me plus the other thing was the tax office is an administrative office and has a a set salary i mean when i left the tax office the salary was a hundred and 40000 mm-hmm. in a car allowance a year, and I was working probably 10 hours a day, five days a week, and four on Saturday. The mayor's office is 29000 As Tom always says, it doesn't pay your cleaning bill, let alone your <laughs> wardrobe. And it's... Um, I work on average 12 hours a day at six days a week and sometimes work on Sundays, but not generally. I think I figured first year I was in office, I was making... 80 cents an hour, but it's never been about the money. Yeah. I mean, that Tom was like, Yeah, you're really going to do this, give up all this other for long term retirement investment. And I said, Yeah. And he said, It's never, service has never been about the money for you. Mm -hmm. And it's never been about the money for our family. And, and we'll make, we'll make do. We'll be fine. Yeah. What drives that passion for service? People. I'm, I'm a very much a people person. I think the COVID has been, very hard on me because mm-hmm. I'm used to being able to hug people's neck. And, you know, Tom always says, you got to meet 10 new people a day or you're hard to live with. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably right. So it's been hard, but it's, it's really about making a difference in your community, helping people from little kids to older adults and serving in the mayor's office is a great way to really impact people's lives. The decisions mm-hmm. we make change your life. Yeah. For the better, I mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's about the people and it's just about giving back. Yeah. And now, what about your kids? You said, Michael, you're obviously friends with some of them. Are they involved in politics now or thinking about it? No, not really. I mean, they all have little kids. Catherine and Matt, that are friends of Michael's and Shannon's, are, have a 13 and 14 year old uh, boys. They're very busy with their careers and their kids. I can see Catherine doing something Mm -hmm. in politics down the road. Our middle son has a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and he 
is our chicken man. He has a degree from A&M in poultry science and a master's <laughs> and is almost done with his PhD at Clemson. He'll be, wow. as we say, he'll wow. be the chicken doctor <laughs> shortly. But he's got a lot of irons in the fire, too. He works, uh, he's a, I guess, an EVP for a company that does uh, research and supplements for the poultry industry and travels all the time. Yeah. But he also has his own organic pasture poultry company called Greener Pastures. And uh, one of the Denver Broncos is his partner on that. So he's busy, but he's the one. Do you know, Paul? I've met him several times. He's yeah. probably the one, he or Catherine, that'll be involved in politics. Yeah. It's important. Our youngest son's a petroleum engineer and has a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And he, he just doesn't have time. Plus, I don't think that he's got the interest in that. He'll always support me and always work for me, and he'd work for his siblings, but he works for other candidates, but he's more like his daddy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He wants to be the behind-the-scenes mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. That's great. For, for Bob's education, and there are a lot of cities like this, but Fort Worth is particularly, particularly unique in this fashion in that you know we, we've kind of let our city to the east be the city to the east. But I think under your guidance and time and leadership, Fort Worth has really been coming into its own. And, and you think about like maybe pre you running or back in the 80s and then the 90s and the transformation of downtown Fort Worth, there has been a smaller group of business leaders and families that were very influential in how that looked. and. Is you're coming up on on ten years and whatever you're going to do next, how, how does that still look and feel, and and where are we headed? Well, it's interesting because Dallas and Fort Worth used to always be very competitive, even though Dallas at the time was much bigger, and we will be bigger than Dallas probably because we have more landmass, more right. developable mm -hmm. space. Uh, but there was a very strong rivalry there. People just didn't. They're very different cities, very, very different cities. And when I was elected, Mike Rawlings was elected the mayor of Dallas. And Mike and I sat down within two weeks of being elected and said, this is silly. This stops this rivalry. We're better as a region together. I mean, we're the fourth largest metropolitan region in the nation directly behind Chicago, wow. and the estimate is that we might eclipse Chicago with this uh, census. It mm -hmm. might be the third largest. Yeah. And it makes more sense to be a region. And you trust me, you can. we fought tooth and nail when it came down to what if company coming to Fort Worth or coming to Dallas. You're always going to fight for your own city. But promoting the city, I think that's changed dramatically because people see this as a big region now. And, you know, somebody in Washington. It was Secretary Carson, who was Secretary of Health and Human Services, was here. And he said, I figured it out. DFW stands for Destination Fort Worth. <laughs> I love it. Drove that. the mayor of Dallas crazy. <laughs> but Mike was a dear friend. He always gave me grief. But the, Fort Worth was fortunate. I think the term to say that there was a group of insiders that controlled the city is not really the way that it was. Mm -hmm. There was a group of downtown business people who were very generous with their time and their resources and very interested in keeping Fort Worth a city more with a character, with more of a small town friendly feel that we've always had, who were willing to shape this city and who it there are those who are charging that was insider, that they controlled everything. I never saw any of them control anything. I always saw the generous side of them. They had strong opinions about Fort Worth, where it should be, but they were, they're who are behind our fabulous arts. I mean, we have one of the best museum districts in the nation, if not the mm -hmm. best. And that's who developed that, the best number one zoo in the nation. Right. It's that giving. I think it's wrong to characterize it as insiders who control the city. I but really I appreciate the way you put that because I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, it was a long time ago, but I saw a stat, and I think it starts with that mindset that per capita, we're one of the most giving uh -huh. cities in the United States. And I think it, it probably has been led by example, right? Yeah, we have yeah. more philanthropic groups, uh, smaller individual families and all that – give than and than nearly anybody else 
It's amazing. And it it's some of those families are much more diluted. Now they're down mm-hmm. second, third generation. Some of their kids aren't here. But there's a whole new group of people that are coming back up. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what makes Fort Worth very special. Not we haven't had the turnover that some of the major cities have. We've had a lot of new growth, but the tur- turnover core in the major main identity of the city has remained the same. And a focus on sharing and giving has stayed. That's you don't find that, you know, I always say most big cities are big city anywhere USA. And they mm-hmm. are. You could wake up in one and wake up in the next one the next morning and you wouldn't know much whether. But in Fort Worth, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. We're not a town of big skyscrapers and you know, but yet we've got the stockyards in the museum district. We've got Magnolia if you're looking yep. for the funky side. So we're a town of great character made up of great characters. Right. Somebody said, yeah, and you're probably the lead character in this play <laughs> right now, Betsy. <laughs> I was going to ask, you know, what some of the biggest challenges you've had in being in the role that you're in have been, and, you know, kind of how you've overcome some of those things. Just, I got to imagine all the things that are thrown at you, you know, is there anything that stands out that, that's really been a challenge that you've been able to work through and, and kind of how you've worked through that? Yeah, I mean, there are, Lots of challenges, pandemic being the one that's on everybody's mm-hmm. mind right now. Uh, racial issues continue to be on the forefront for every major city in Fort Worth, no exception. Yeah. But we didn't start working on this just when this came to the forefront. We've been working on that for five years and we've made really good strides and it's been done in a very civil manner. I'm very proud of the response that we've had to the tragic Tatiana Jefferson shooting Mm -hmm. that occurred here and where that's going. There are those who don't like it, but as a whole, there are our police departments come up with some really creative ways to handle that. The city has too. We hired a diversity and inclusion officer to look at all we're doing, and that's dramatically increased our diversity in in the city itself, city business. We have a new police monitor who's monitoring all that, and, and that's all being done with the cooperation of the community. Yeah, I think trying to include people, uh, that's the best thing. I don't think you govern behind a desk. I don't think that you anybody's very good at governing behind a desk. And I think part of the challenges that you face are being disconnected from where you are. And I've spent a lot of time in the community, and it has made a difference for me. I mean, whether I'm in an elementary school or in a church or doing a rolling town hall or a walking town hall or Java with Jungus or Coffee with the Mayor or some mm-hmm. of those, that engagement has allowed us to have more dialogue. Um, and that's a challenge for every major city is to connect enough. And we spend a lot of time doing it, but I'm very pleased with how yeah. we've handled that. And I'm really pleased with the response. It's a work in progress, a race and cultural task force that came out of the Jacqueline Craig issue three, four years ago now mm-hmm. has done incredible work on that too. Those were probably two the first one, the Jacqueline Craig, would be the issue that I'm least proud of our response on it, but I'm most proud of how what we learned from it and how we implemented it, mm-hmm. and because it put us in good stead when a Tatiana Jefferson was murdered. Yeah. yeah. Are you ready to come fix Chicago for us when you're done here? <laughs> <laughs> I think not. I'm a no. Texan through and through. <laughs> you're not taking her. You're not, she's not done yet. But Bob, I mean, that, that's got to hit home to you. I remember talking to you and you're looking out the windows of our Chicago offices mm-hmm. and seeing what was going on in the streets. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been hard. It's been really hard. I mean, you know, I, I talk to Michael all the time and I can see it with you. You just, you have that natural passion for the city that you're from and, and the city that you love. And, and I love Chicago through and through, and it's so hard to see what has happened in the city and all the challenges over that, not just the past year. I mean, it's been years for us of, of challenges and yeah. When being in the office and, and looking down and seeing nothing going on downtown and everything boarded up. I mean, my, I live about eight blocks from the office, right in the heart of the West mm-hmm. loop. And, and you're walking down the street to all these great businesses and everything's boarded up. And it's, it's not because of COVID it's because of looting and riots and, it was really, really sad time. I mean, a lot of my friends left and said, we're we're not going to deal with this. You know, we have kids. We're going to get out of here. 
this is not worth being a part of. And, you know, I don't know what we do to fix Chicago, but it's a great place to live it's and to be. It's a beautiful city. It it's really amazing. is. And there's a lot of great business there and there's a lot of good to it. But, you know, I'm, I get worried of, you know, is the bad going to eventually overshadow the good? And you're starting to see some of these big corporations say we, we've had enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a shame. And, it, and it's really hard to see your city hurting. Yeah. I mean, the we didn't have anywhere near what you had, but the minor race relations we had, uh, race protests that we had here were handled very well, but it, it was hard to watch. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it has it brought forward a lot of good solutions and opened a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. There were a lot of people who I think just didn't realize the deterioration in some of the communities and the neglect. But it's just hard to see. Yeah. It's, it hurts to see that happening to your city. But, I mean, we were fortunate. Our police chief went out on one of the protests the first night and took a knee and prayed with the protesters. Yep, yeah. It made yep. a big difference. Yeah. I went out uh, for a couple of the noon protests. And one of the I went to the uh, prayer session, which turned into a protest mm -hmm. the night the next night after Tatiana Jefferson was shot. And, and you just you have to be there. It's not always the safest place to be, but you have to be mm -hmm. present. And it does help if people think you're sincere about it. Yeah. And, and you got to be. Yeah. I mean, humans see right through right, mm -hmm. if you're disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Chicago is hurting, I know. And so, so many of our major cities are, are in bad shape. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of this conversation has been rear view, mirror, and, and reflective, which I think is, is perfect for kind of where you are wrapping up the 10 years, but looking forward and, and, you know, we're, you know, looking at the numbers now, hopefully we're on the, the back end of a once in a hundred year pandemic. And Bob and I talk a lot about this on the podcast that in many ways it has created an old economy and a new economy mm -hmm. in the way we look about and think about things. So as we think about the, the, the power proposition of, the Metroplex, right? And and Bob and I talk about this all the time too. In our business, we can go out and bring on umpteenth zillion businesses, but if we don't have the right people to service those businesses and take care of their day-to-day -day needs, we're going to lose the game. So we call that a war on talent. As we think about that and the value proposition of the Metroplex, and in particular Fort Worth, because that's what we're here to talk about, in your your time here, what does that look like? How do we attract the best and the brightest and the right kind of companies and and people to continue to grow the the base that you built? It's interesting because people don't when you and we've just done a couple of had a couple of consultants do a couple of studies. It isn't that people say, well, we're not getting the corporate headquarters we want. Well, we're not chasing the big shiny. Amazon or Tesla mm -hmm. necessarily. We're looking for businesses that fit the talent we have here because you you can't import a lot of talent. You have to grow your own talent. So we've worked on education and all to grow that. And But it isn't that businesses don't want to come to Fort Worth. It's that we're not on their radar. Mm -hmm. When you talk to the top 10 locator companies that relocate businesses, if, if you're the president of a big company and you want to move, you're going to go to a recruiter and say, give me 10 cities to look at. They just don't have Fort Worth on that list. They don't identify. And the average one, you'll say, how big do you think we are? And they'll go, you know, 35th, 45th in the nation. And we're 13th. Right. Yeah. So we're working actively on the campaign to promote the city and who we are and the character that we are and try to get a little more exposure. And I think that's the only way to do it is to just gradually get it there. But Fort Worth has never really been, I mean, we've we've recruited a lot of big companies and been a lot of success. And Fort Worth now, our recovery and response group that we formed during COVID has really made great strides. And they've got some interesting ideas about how do we grow what we already have instead of looking for that big corporate campus, mm -hmm. grow some of the areas that we have and build on that. And that will attract other businesses too. There's a lot of moving pieces on it right now, but I'm very pleased with the direction it's all going. How do you, how do you balance some of that growth too? I mean, if you see, I was with some, some clients yesterday and we were talking about what's going on in Austin 
and seeing everything with Tesla being there and, and other companies moving there. And, you know, he was a little down on what's going on in the city there. And, you know, how do you balance with, with bringing folks here, but not, you know, kind of having too much that it can't be sustainable? It's a very fine line. And people want to come. People, it's particularly in light of COVID, people have realized they can telecommute. In many mm-hmm. cases, they don't want to live in cities that are as crowded and stacked one on each other. Mm-hmm. It's you balance that by being very careful about zoning and and planning. And and we have been for twenty five years. Fort Worth has been upside down on our tax base. We've been sixty percent residential and forty percent business. In the last 10 years, we've had a strong focus on flipping that because you don't want that big a burden on your homeowners. And we're mm-hmm. gradually beginning to shift it. We're probably 55% res- residential now. So it's changing a little bit. But I think you got to have a fo- – it's hard to say exactly how you do it, except that if you don't have it on your radar in every business decision you make, it'll explode without yeah. you realizing it. And I think that's really what's happened to Austin. Now the cost of living in Austin is so high. Mm-hmm. Their homeless issues so out of control yeah. that most people are moving out, moving to Round Rock and Georgetown and mm-hmm. down to New Brunswick's way. They yeah. just, I don't want to put up with it. Of course, I'm a strong conservative. And I think if you take a look historically at the, the last 20 years, the cities that are not necessarily Republican, but the cities that have had a conservative focus on their city finances are the strongest cities mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. The very liberal cities who've just spent helter-skelter are in bad shape. Yeah. Chicago is a good example. Baltimore is a good example. Mm-hmm. Austin is right there with them. Uh, Dallas, a more liberal city, is is basically a little more conservatively focused. Yeah own finances particularly yeah houston is backpedaling on some decisions they made several years ago right. that will help them get back in good shape sylvester's doing a great job mm-hmm. down there but you mentioned i think you could you can dig that out you'll see that it's true i heard earlier you'd mentioned or maybe it was michael the pen, pension there were some mm-hmm. pension issues here obviously in chicago we have a massive pension issue what was what was the issue here for someone who who isn't familiar and you know how did you go about tackling that piece well, the first year i was in office and on the campaign trail that i'd looked at the city finances and the city it was 47 million dollars in the red not on the pension just on their general fund mm-hmm. and the pension was we were at that point Close to, real close to, I've kind of forgotten the numbers, but real close to a billion dollars in the red. It was way underfunded. It was an, an infinite funding. And there was a lot of abuse at the pension center, a lot of gaming on the retirement, on the, mm-hmm. the drop, which is the you know deferred retirement where they can start their retirement and then put their salary in. And it had to be fixed or the city was going to go broke. I mean, we were at... 22% of our payroll and growing on pension. Wow. And no one was tackling it because I love our police and fire and they're now they understand it and they support me. But at the time they were like, first time I ran, they always backed the candidate and their candidates always ran, always won. And they, I had a meeting with them. They said, you are not our candidate and you will not win. We've never lost a race. Mm-hmm. I said the same thing I said to this consultant the years before. You just need to sit back and watch because we're going to win this <laughs> race. Love it. And we're going to fix your pension. And so we made some major changes to the pension, changed the drop, the interest paid on the drop, uh, how you could do it, changed the overtime. One of the biggest things was gaming the system with overtime. Yeah. The last years they were in the drop, they could work unlimited amounts, and it increased what we had to pay them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it good folks, and it was available, and they just did it. Yeah, and it was really hard to get through, and it was probably the one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And the yeah. night we took the vote on the pension to make the changes, um, it passed, but it was a Herculean task getting there because some of my council members were terribly scared of losing the support. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got it done and went home and my husband said, he'd been watching on TV and said, you better not, you better hope our house doesn't burn 
or nobody gets sick because fire isn't coming to help you. <laughs> and he said, and you darn sure better hope you dri- you better not drive above the speed limit because every cop in town's looking for you. Mm-hmm. And it was like that for about a year. And they finally began to understand the younger officers and those who were kind of in the midterm understood it. It was those who were closer to retirement who didn't like it because yeah. it's impacting then. And then we said it'll ta- it'll be a two-time change to the pension. In about five years, we'll have to make an additional change. This time when we made it three years ago, four years ago, we got a lot of support. They all understood, and our general employees understood, If without this, their pension wouldn't be there. Yeah. city would go bankrupt. Yep. That's not a pretty thought. Mm-hmm. And we are the only major city in Texas probably the only major city in the South, to tackle the pension and handle it locally. All the other major cities in the state, Austin, the legislature stepped in and, and said, you will address your pension and here's how you'll do it. Mm-hmm. And they're saddled with huge debt. And yeah. we you know, we still are 20% of our payroll, but it isn't growing anymore. It's finite now. Yeah. And it's, wow. I'm very proud of the fact that we handled it locally and didn't have to address it. It's a local problem. Right. It's not a problem that your state legislators need to address. Mm-hmm. And everybody under, and they've got a fabulous pension. I mean, they, I wish I were in their pension system. Still a very strong, very robust pension because they serve us all and put their lives on the line. And our general employees do a great job. But you can't break the city and you can't break the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And now it's stable and it's in good shape. That's it was a wow. it was a battle. I'm telling you, we well, got I mean, black and blue more than mm-hmm. more than once. I think that's a perfect example of of what we started talking about in in just the importance of local elections and paying attention to what's going on because it's something as important as a pension, which really shouldn't be a political it issue. Be a political it's a, it's issue. a it's a financial it's issue. It's a financial issue, and it's the right thing to do yeah. for the people that. Yep. Get to and participate it, it's in the It's very much domino because Fort Worth had the dubious distinction of having the highest tax rate in the state of any major city. And for years, that hurt us on business recruitment and, right. and uh, housing recruitment. And the goal was to reduce that. And without tackling pension, we couldn't reduce the tax rate. Well, we tackled pension and we've lowered our tax rate 11 cents. And now we're below Dallas and Houston mm-hmm. and Austin, which is great. Mm-hmm. Mike, I have a question. Yeah. So I live in Fort Worth. I went to TCU. I graduated. and Frogs. I, yeah, exactly. Um, and when people often ask me, do you plan on staying in Fort Worth long term? I, I, the answer I usually give is till the day I die. Me too. And that's not similar to the people that I went to school with. TCU is I TCU dragged me here from California. They recruit a ton of amazing talent, especially with the business school and the medical school. But often when we graduate from TCU, a lot of the people that were close to me, they would go to Dallas, New York, or Austin. With this new mayor coming in, what what would you recommend to them in terms of promoting Fort Worth as a place to retain TCU-specific talent? Because it's putting out so many great people. How do we get them to stay in it's Fort Worth? A, it's a really good question about... Eight years ago, the Chamber of Commerce did a survey that showed just exactly what you just said, that we were hemorrhaging our college talent, that we didn't have enough college-educated people. Uh, With the rise of Magnolia, West 7th, um, downtown Sundance, when we get it kind of back up, the news numbers show we are maintaining a much higher percentage than we were. It's got to continue to be a concerted effort, and we worked with uh, TCU with Victor Boschini, the chancellor, mm-hmm. and all to try to get more businesses recruiting at TCU, showcase more of what we have. And I think it's beginning to change. It's just slow. It is. Changing. It is. And it's something that I'm starting to see just mm-hmm. in the last six months. A lot of my friends are moving back from mm-hmm. Dallas. They would leave, go to Dallas and say, you know what? I I miss Fort Worth. I want to come we back. We saw a mm-hmm. lot of that. Even the early study that we did showed that they would leave and go to Austin or New York or Dallas. And when they married and had children, they were coming back, back to Fort Worth. Yep. There you go. And now we're beginning to see more of the young singles stay mm-hmm. or come back early on. And it's it's taken a lot of work, but it's got to continue. The next mayor's got to have a focus on doing that. And the TCU chancellor has to help us with it. And it's we just have to 
continue to build our creative class. We've worked very hard on being able to attract small businesses and entrepreneurs. And a lot of those people who were leaving were going to Dallas and Austin mm-hmm. for that entrepreneur climate. We've now mm-hmm. got a, a much better angel network of financing and a big uh, attraction for that. And that'll help us maintain talent, too. It's a good question. Johnny, anytime you want to ask a question on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. man, pipe in. That Earth was man. really Just good. <laughs> that was fantastic. So one of the ways we start concluding a podcast like this is, is a question we ask a lot. And there's the saying around, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But then we like to flip it around and say, it's not what you know or who you know, it's who knows you. Yeah. And you're coming up on the end of 10 years. Um, I was texting this morning with one of my best friends and your son-in-law. And I said, hey, give me three words that describe the mayor. And he said, I can't do it in three. (laughs) But he tried really hard. And he said, energetic, considerate, inclusive, and honorable. That's very sweet. And so... In thinking about this podcast being a medium to pass on your story and your legacy and your climb and your defining moments, which we've done today, what do you want people to know about you? You know, somebody asked me this recently and and said, describe it in two or three words. And I said, I want people to know I care, that I care about this community, that I've always cared about this community, and I want it to be a shining star. Mm -hmm. And I think that's passion. A single word would be passion. It's yeah. passion for the city. Well, I know you've said it a lot. You want to leave it better than you found Absolutely. it. And you are doing just that. Um, there's a, a strong uh, candidate base out there, um, but they've got awfully big shoes, to awfully big boots to fill. So. <laughs> yeah, I put the toes. Somebody said, uh, your red boot toe print or shoot boot print is on backside of way too many people in the city. <laughs> I'm notorious for, I mean, there used to be a thing said, if you, sh- if Betsy shows up in her red high heels or her red boots and she's deadly serious and don't cross her that day. Well, my I mom, don't have on red today. I have on snake skin today. My mom always said compliment a lady's shoes and those are beautiful. Thank so you. Nice. Thank you. Um, so for those of our listeners that may have a passion for service and politics um, and, and kind of the, the connotation out there that you got to have a bunch of money to get into no. politics. Cause it doesn't, you know, to your point, $29,000 is, is running the 13th largest city in the United States or, you know, your, your whole DNA and, and family is going to be, such in the forefront and you know when especially bigger races when they're really digging in to try to find the thing that's better for the candidate that you're running against like give give the inspiration and the reason that more young people really need to think about service well i do think that the salaries make a difference for young people that we're at the bottom of that you don't want the salary so high that people are in it for the money right mm-hmm. but you should it should be a sustainable amount that people can serve i mean i think young people just have to realize they're going to shape their community they have an opportunity to shape their community not just for themselves but for their own children for their nieces for their nephews and if they don't people will shape it who's vision they don't like. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be an elected official. You can serve on a board or a commission. At bare minimum, you can know your elected officials and you can provide them with input. Send them an email, send them a text, pick up the phone and call them. You'd be amazed at the number of people that I talk to and I'll say, who's your school board rep? Oh, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's so-and-so. Who's your city council member? And they'll hum and haw and maybe come up with it. They can all name the mayor because the mayor is very visible, but they can't name their commissioners and their uh, county judge. They can now a little bit, but they just aren't paying as much attention. And it's critical for the quality of the life of your life in the city to pay attention. If you're not ready to serve or you don't want to subject your family to that, then start low. Start by paying attention and get involved with the candidates you think and help them on their campaign that you like. Mm-hmm. Do that. Get involved on a board or commission. 
or follow the, what the city business is and opine on it. Yeah, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't sit back and do nothing and expect what's the definition of idiocy? Right. Doing the same thing mm-hmm. you've always done, insanity, expecting yeah. a different insanity. Yeah. Expecting a different result. Yep. That's exactly right. And get out and vote. Get out and vote. Vote first and foremost. A lot of people died for us to have that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Mayor, thank you for your time. Thank you all. Thank fine. you so much. It was great yeah. to meet you. It's great to meet you, too. Keep Chicago moving forward. You got to do something up there. Yes, sir. And you can help us, Johnny, keep Fort Worth moving forward. I'm You're just making be... podcasts. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> making podcasts is a good thing. Help Absolutely. us get our message out. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.